Welcome. You're listening to the Beaver Dam Baptist Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. If you would like more information about Beaver Dam Baptist Church or have questions about today's message, please visit us on the internet at www.bdbc.org. Good morning. As you are aware, hopefully by now, we are living in peculiar times. Hopefully you have heard from our pastor, Alan Price, this week as he has gotten a message out to our entire church family as best we know how to let you know what we as a church are striving to do as we try to navigate these uh, interesting times that we're currently living in. And so we as a church are seeking uh, to obey the authorities that are over us. And so the government has told us not to uh, meet in gatherings larger than 10 people. And so we are trying to, to submit uh, even as individuals we submit, we as a church are trying to submit to the, the ruling and governing authorities over us. And so uh, it is our desire to come back together soon and prayerfully that will take place. Uh, and we pray that, that this time right now is awkward to you because we do believe in the assembling together Right, that, that we're told in Hebrews 10, 25, that we are not to forsake the gathering together. And so we pray that this is awkward for you right now and that in this you feel the tension of I want to be with my church body. And so we pray that this would heighten our senses and our understanding of what God has called the body of Christ to be and that is an assembled body. And so also I pray that this alerts us all to our brothers and sisters in Christ that are meeting around the globe right now in, in the confines of their home because they're the only one in their city or their region or maybe their nation that is a believer. And so as you look around your living room or your kitchen, as you're watching this wherever you are, Maybe you're like, this is odd. Well, that's the way, the regulative way of life for many of our, our missionaries that are serving on our behalf around the globe. And so may this drive us to pray for them and their community and their fellowships to be strengthened, to be um, enlarged so that they have a body to come to. And so I do want us this morning to begin with prayer. Uh, I want us to, to take an intentional time to pray for our, our, our government, uh, our medical uh, professionals, and, and those that are making difficult decisions even today uh, that will affect us all. And most likely, no one will be completely satisfied with the decisions they make. And so we as Christians, we want to pray for, we want to support, we want to encourage those decisions, right? And so would you now, as we begin our time together this morning, would you go with me in prayer before our God? Let us pray. Jesus tells us in his Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. God, we confess we worry way more than we should. Holy Spirit, we cry out that you would open our eyes and our hearts to hear and believe the word of God. 
so that our mouths, our emotions, and our faculties will be led to worship you with joy in the midst of uncertainty. In verse 33, Jesus goes on to tell us, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Lord, might we seek your kingdom. Might we point others to your kingdom in these days as they have questions and anxiety. Father God, we intercede for our president, our healthcare officials and workers, and all that are making these tough decisions. We pray, God, that you would lead them. We pray that they would lean and depend upon you in these days. And might they truly taste and see that you, Father, are good. Father, we pray that we are a people that, as John Popper would say, don't waste our quarantine or our coronavirus. God, would we not waste the season and time of life that you've given us, whether that be um, loss of job or whether that would be uh, time with our family? Father God, would we not waste it? Might we stand on the shoulders of our ancestors in the faith who responded during pandemics like smallpox, measles, black death, and Spanish flu. Their impulse to move toward the needy displayed in heroic sacrifice is entirely Christ-like. We dare not be less sacrificial in the love we seek to embody. God, your glory is what we are after. Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us we pray. Amen. Amen. And so now that gets us to our task at hand this morning, to, to open God's Word and to hear from God uh, via the convenience of technology. As, as we are gathered in our homes, we're gathered maybe in our cars, who knows where we're watching this this morning, uh, but we pray that we would tune into God's Word and that we would hear from God as He would instruct us as a body this morning. And so, as many of you are well aware, we have just finished as a church our, our sixth term of life groups. And so we do two terms of life groups, one in the fall and one in the winter. Uh, and my desire is to always try to encapsulate that for our church body so that we can be on the same page, moving in unison toward our Heavenly Father as He is, is shaping us and molding us into the men, women, children that He desires for us to be. And so we will prayerfully, Lord willing, uh, gather again in, in life groups this fall in September. And so if you've not been a part of a life group, I just want to shamelessly plug right now, jump into a life group. I was just uh, bragging on our life group leadership just a, a week or so ago. And I was talking about a conversation that I had with one of our, our members the last time we had the, the fortune to, to gather together. And, and he was instructing me and telling me that he truly believed that life groups were being a, a means to growing him and growing our body in authentic uh, relationships that uh, avails the Holy Spirit to work and to maneuver in the life of our church. And so we, we want to encourage everyone to be a part of a life group. And so this morning our objective or my goal is, is to help us understand what it is that we have been studying 
the last few weeks, the last few months as a church body in our life groups. And so uh, you're going to see some slides that are going to come up uh, as I go through this. I've, I've tried to, to bring up some slides and, and thankful to uh, Robert Garcia and his, um, his generosity to help put all this together because many of you know me and I am uh, technologically inept. And so we are thankful to have men and women in our church that are blessing us as a staff uh, even as they are blessing you by their skills and abilities being uh, put to the forefront of what and who we are as a church. And so uh, this morning, we're going to try to walk through and look at and see the, the reality that we studied this past life group in uh, Jen Wilkins' book, uh, None Like Him, Ten Ways God is Different from Us. And so uh, you're going to see some quotes from, from Jen Wilkins on those slides. You're going to see and hear me quote her. We've got several of these copies of this book uh, still available. If you'd like one, uh, we'd love for you to, to get one of those. You can obviously click on your local book distributor, uh, Amazon.com. And, uh, and pick up a copy um, for yourself if you would like that, just so you can know kind of what's going on. But in this book, what Jen Wilkin does is she describes and she walks the reader through 10 of God's incommunicable attributes. And we studied in the fall her book on his communicable attributes. And so you see there uh, a slide with, with a definition talking about what those attributes look like. And so it's, it's kind of tricky to classify God's attributes because we can't say everything that the Bible teaches us about God's character at once. We've, we find our individuals need a way to categorize the attributes of God. And there are several methods of classifying God's attributes. And this morning, I just want to walk through these incommunicable attributes so that they would be a help and a blessing to you in this stage of your life, wherever you are this morning. So you see there on the slide, the incommunicable attributes. How is God different from us? Wayne Grudem, who I will often quote in this um, in this message, Wayne Grudem writes a little bit bigger book, uh, and he's a theologian, uh, which really just means that he's an author that, that tries to explain uh, heady and big words in, um, in an accessible way. And so this is an excellent uh, theological textbook. Uh, I don't necessarily expect everyone to have one of these, but it's a great resource for you to have as you seek to understand the God that you claim to worship. And so you'll hear me and see me reference Wayne Grudem quite a bit, uh, just a phenomenal author uh, and teacher of God's word. And so he defines incommunicable attributes as aspects of God's character that he does not share with us, right? An example that would be God is eternal. He has always existed. You and I have not always existed. So that's how he's different from us, right? Versus his communicable attributes is how God is like us in his being, in mental and moral attributes. These are aspects of God's character that he shares or that he communicates with us, right? An example being God is love. We are able to love just as Christ loved us us, right? So we are commissioned, we are called, we are instructed by God's word to exhibit some of his characteristics. And so we call those his communicable attributes versus his incommunicable attributes. And so 
this classification of God's attributes into two major categories is helpful, and most people naturally recognize the difference in these categories. However, these categories aren't perfect, right? This is because there is no attribute of God that is completely communicable or completely incommunicable, all right? And so we, we acknowledge that, but just um, we try to classify those things so our finite minds can get our hands around them and understand them, access them, and then display them, right? So that we can worship our God who has called us to walk in accordance with his word. So, um, like I said, the book we studied is None Like Him by Jen Wilkin, and in it she sought to reclaim the idea of Christians being God-fearing. On page, on page 13, Wilkins states that when we lose sight of the majesty of God, we invariably feel the gap in our vision with the fable of the majesty of someone else. Whether that be our spouse, a leader, our children, or ourselves. If we are not in awe of God, we will feel that that place that only he alone is, is to dwell in, that only he alone is to be our focus and our intent, we will fill that with lesser things. And lesser things are your spouse and your children. Now, we as Christ followers are to love our spouse. We are to love and instruct our children. But they fall underneath our love, admiration, and understanding and awe of God. And we as Christ followers, myself included, we, we a lot of times get that mixed up because we can touch, we can feel, we can see, we can interact, right, in tangible ways, right? Like we, we can touch their cheeks, we can, we can wrap our arms around them. And sometimes I think that we as, as Christ followers, we can't do that with God. And so sometimes we just give up and we don't lean into his word to understand what he has given us in revelation of himself. And so this morning, my desire is to not talk about a bunch of big words for the sake of talking about, about a bunch of big words, but my desire is to take us to the text of God's word so that we can be in awe of God. So I want us this morning to read a familiar psalm, and my prayer is that the psalm would direct us to God and cause us to worship and love him more. But before we read the text this morning, I want to ask us all a question. Am I in awe of God? Are you, are you and I this morning in awe of God? That's the question I want before us all morning this morning as we look at God's word and as we look at this familiar psalm. So we're going to be in Psalm 139 this morning. And so hopefully you've got your Bible and hopefully you're reading that along with us uh, as we track through this this morning. So I'm going to read it. You follow along in your copy of God's word and then we'll, we'll try to unpack it uh, to the best of our ability uh, this morning. So Psalm 139 is a psalm of David and we, we, we hear these words of that great King David. Oh Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. 
You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Shiloh, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Wilkin accurately observes the focus and subject of Psalm 139 is not us. It is God. This morning, I would like to walk us through this psalm and look at 10 incommunicable attributes of God and how these attributes should affect us. And what a fitting text that the Lord laid on my heart via our life groups prior to anything about coronavirus. But I think that this morning's text, this psalm, the awe of God should be and must be a comfort to God's people in the midst of uncertain times. So attribute number one is God is omniscient. He searches. He knows. He discerns. We are going to look at several omni statements this morning. An omni is a, is a suffix, right, at the beginning of a word, or a prefix, rather, right, at the prefix that, that describes uh, all, right? So all whatever. And so he is omniscient, meaning he is all-knowing. He is all-knowing. Omniscience is a doctrine that God fully knows himself in all things actual and possible in one simple and eternal act. John says in 1 John 3.20 that God knows everything. The quality of knowing everything is called omniscience. And because God knows everything, he is said to be omniscient. In Psalm 139, David reflects on this amazing detail of, of God's knowledge of our lives. In verses 1 and 2, he knows our actions and our thoughts. He knows the words we will say before they are spoken. And he knows all the days of our lives, even before we are born. Verse 16, God never learns or forgets. 
Does that just blow your mind? This morning, as you're learning in your living room, let it hit you in the face that your God, the God of the Bible, that is, never learns. He never learns. Do you understand that even though you've been married to your spouse, maybe like me, I've been married for, what, 15 years now? Um, it'll be 15 this summer. Um, I'm still learning Stephanie, right? I'm still getting to know her. She's getting to know me, even though we know each other pretty well. We're still learning each other. God is not learning you. He knows everything. That alone is worthy to say, yes, God. He knows everything. He never learns. But attribute number two is God is eternal. He is behind and before. Look at verse 5. When used of God, the doctrine that God has no beginning in or succession of moments in his own being, and he sees all time equally vividly. Yet God sees events in time, and he acts in time. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. The problem is we expect God to make everything beautiful in our time. I want God to make everything beautiful in my time frame, in my schedule of events, in my to-do list. God is not dependent upon us. We'll look at that later. But we need to understand that God works in, um, he works in time even though he is eternal, right? He, he desires to engage with us. And are we in awe of him because of this trait? How aware are you that your days on earth are limited. God is eternal. You know you were born. You know that. You don't argue against that. Most of us realize we will die. We realize that this earth, we will not live forever as we currently know it. Right? I'm not talking about the new earth and the second kind. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about we know that we have a shelf life as humans. And prayerfully, that this that's going on around us drives us to Psalm 90:12 that tells us, teach us to number our days. You have a shelf life. I have a shelf life. What are we doing with the days that God has given us? Are we loving our neighbors well? Are we making much of God through the gifts and abilities that he has lavished upon us? Attribute number three, God is incomprehensible. He is beyond human reckoning. He is not able to be fully understood. The fully there is, is important. We need to understand he's not fully able to be understood. As this applies to God, it means that God cannot be understood fully or exhaustively, although we can know true things about God. It is not true to say that God is unable to be understood. But it is true to say that he cannot be fully or exhaustively known. And so, Psalm 145.3 says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Psalm 147.5 says, His understanding is beyond 
measure. We will never be able to measure or fully know the understanding of God. It is far too great for us to equal or to understand. Similarly, when we think of God's knowledge of all his ways, David says in verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. David rightly understood who God was. Romans eleven thirty three and Isaiah 55, 9 and, and other verses, they make it clear that not only can we not fully understand God, it is also true that we will never fully understand any single thing about God. We might and, and can know something about God's attributes, but we can never know his attributes exhaustively. It is high, I cannot attain it. We will never run out of things to learn about God. We just talked about how God is never learning. We should always be learning, not just here and now in this temporal, earthly, sojourning time of our existence, but those of us that are Christ followers that will be with him in glory, we will continue to learn. We will continue to understand more and more about our God, our Jesus. We also should never tire of delighting in the discovery of more and more of his excellence and his greatness of his works. The scripture seems to indicate that God's incomprehensibility is linked to his greatness and not our sin. Thus, even in glory, we will never be able to understand him fully. And so you might be thinking, well, doesn't that contradict 1 Corinthians 13, 12, where Paul says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. The phrase known fully is simply an attempt to translate the Greek word, which suggests deeper or more accurate knowledge. Perhaps in contrast with the present partial knowledge. Knowledge free from error and falsehood. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I know many of you right now are like me and you're watching the news and you're, you're listening to people. And just let's be honest, like we don't know who we can trust because, you know, is the media, is the government, is our, our friends, are they tainted with some sort of worldview that they're trying to push upon us? And so the news they're giving us is softened through, even if they don't even know it, through this worldview. And so we're trying to figure out, can I trust what someone is telling me? And so one day we won't have to worry with that because we will be in glory and everything will be right. Everything will be able to be understood completely. So my question is, do you delight in the incomprehensibility of God or does it lead you to laziness and being lethargic? Are you using the time right now, the extra time, maybe you're working from home, maybe you have more time because school is off? Are you being lazy and lethargic? Or are you excited that you have more time to study God's Word? You have more time to care about others. You have more time to serve others. Are you excited or are you lazy? As Christians, we should not be called lazy. Attribute number four. God is omnipresent. 
He is near and far, high and low. Look at verse 7. The omnipresence is a doctrine that God does not have size or spatial dimensions and is present at every point of space with his whole being. Yet God acts differently in different places. Just as God is unlimited or infinite with respect to time, so God is unlimited with respect to space. God is not limited by space because he created space, right? Genesis 1.1. We know that he's the creator. He is not limited by something that he created, right? And so there there is nowhere in the universe on land or sea and heaven or hell where one can flee from God's presence. Do you understand that? Do you daily live as though God is omnipresent? Do you live as though he is always there? Attribute number five, God is self-sufficient. His right hand sustains me, verse 10. Nothing is necessary to God. He is not needy. God does not need you, and he certainly does not need me. We seek God because we need God. For in God we live and move and have our being. The life of God is not a gift from another. The late American pastor and author A.W. Tozer said it like this, An elementary but correct way to think of God is as the one who contains all, who gives all that is given, but who himself can receive nothing that he is not first given. Need is a descriptive of the creature, not the creator. Do you understand that God needs nothing? He does not need you. Let that sink in. God does not need you. He does not need me. But he delights in us. He cherishes us. He sent Jesus to rescue us. Not because he was lonely. Not because he was trying to make up for lost time. He does that because he is after his own glory and redeeming sinners that intentionally rebelled and and pushed him away. And so are we in awe of our God because he is not in need of us. Do you understand? I don't know if maybe, maybe you've been around these people. Sometimes there are needy people, right? There are extra grace required people in our lives. And sometimes those people can kind of, I'll just be honest with you here today. Like sometimes those people get on my nerves, right? And I'm just like, oh, you're so needy, whatever, Kevin Stewart, like you're the worst, right? And so, you know, sometimes like I have that like thought in my mind and God most often humbles me by reminding me that I am needy, that I am just like whoever that person is that I want to point out and say they are a needy individual. I am way more needy than they are. And God is sitting there saying, I need nothing, but I want you. And God just humbles me to say, I need him. Are you quick to confess your needs to the one who has no needs. God's self-sufficiency is closely linked with the next attribute, and that is attribute number six. God is self-existent. He creates life, verses 13 and 14. Another term for God's independence. God's independence is defined as God does not need us or the rest of creation for anything, yet we and the rest of creation can glorify him and bring him joy. 
Paul in Acts 17 proclaims to the men of Athens, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God did not create mankind due to his loneliness. He does not lack intimacy. Right? He, he does not create man and woman in the garden because he's lonely. Don't, don't think that, oh, God had to create us because he was... No! God did not have to create us. So do not, for one moment, believe that your God is a lonely God. Your God desires a relationship with you because he is a holy God. He is a merciful God. He is a gracious God. Only God is uncreated. And only God has truly created. We as humans confuse stewardship with ownership. And they're not the same thing. You don't own anything. I don't own anything. I'm merely a steward of the possessions God has lavished upon me. And we too much complain that we don't have more things when we're not even stewarding well the things that God has allowed us to steward. So are you stewarding well those things he has given you? Attribute number seven, God is omnipotent. Verse 14, he does wondrous works. Omnipotence is a doctrine that God is able to do all his holy will. God is all powerful. However, there are some things that God cannot do. God cannot will or do anything that would deny his own character. This is why we added all his holy will to the definition. Thus God, in, in Titus 1-2, God cannot lie. 2 Timothy 2-13, he cannot deny himself. James 1-13, God cannot be tempted with evil. God cannot cease to exist or cease to to be God, or act in any way inconsistent with all of his other attributes. He cannot do that because that would be inconsistent. God's omnipotence leads to his sovereignty. Attribute number eight, my favorite. God is sovereign, verse 16. He ordains each day. God exercise of power over his creation is his sovereignty. Sovereignty is a, a phenomenal word that I never spell right, um, but I love it. Often you hear the term providence in relation to sovereignty. And I'd love to deep dive into God's providence, but for our survey of theology this morning, we can define providence as God's ongoing relationship to his creation. To me, God's sovereignty is the theme of the children's song. He's got the whole world in his hands. We sing that with our boys all the time because I want them to understand that he holds them in the palm of his hands. He holds me. He holds this church, this nation, this virus. He holds everything in the palm of his hand. It is always good to know, and especially today, that God is sovereign. Everything is subject to God. 
two verses uh, that jump out at me are, are Proverbs 21.1. Uh, he holds the king's heart in his hand and directs it like the river's course. Um, Proverbs 16.9, Aaron quoted that in his call weekend, uh, that the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Um, I love those verses that talk about how God, even when we don't even know it, God is directing us. He's guiding us because he holds us in his hands. Is your God bigger than and capable of directing your footsteps? Is he big enough to care for and direct the footsteps of your children? Is he in control of the coronavirus? He either is or he isn't. There's no middle ground. God is in control. The God of the Bible is absolutely in control. Whether you and I admit, recognize, or declare him to be or not, he is in control. Attribute number nine, God is infinite. God is infinite. He is immeasurable, right? When used of God, a term referring to the fact that he is not subject to any of the limitations of humanity or creation in general. In the teaching of the Bible, God is both infinite and personal. He is infinite in that he is not subject to any of the limitations of humanity or of creation in general. He is far greater than anything he has made, far greater than anything else that exists. The God of the Bible is infinite. He is immeasurable. You cannot take a measuring tape. You, can take, you cannot take any metric. He can't go to the combine in Indianapolis and be measured in a 40 or a vertical leap because he is immeasurable. He is God. We cannot measure him. And for some, that scares us to death because we want a God of our own making and our own choosing that we can put in a box and we can open and get out and use and apply when we want. And when we don't, we can put him back in the box, close it up and set him aside. Friends, that is not the God of the Bible. That is not a God worth praising. That is not a God worth giving your life for. That is a God not worth laying down your wants, your desires, your aspirations for. Don't settle for a God that is measurable. Press in. Understand that your God, the God of the Bible, is a God who cannot and will not be measured by us, his creation. Are you and my guilty of wanting to be God? Do I want the power and ability to define and understand who God is? God's word is not exhaustive in detail, but it is sufficient. Oh, how we're thankful that it is sufficient. As we looked in Sunday school this morning, we looked at um, Simeon and Hannah, or Anna rather, uh, and they're meeting Jesus in the temple. And I just, I've always wondered, especially when I was a teenager, I wanted to know what Jesus was like. I wanted to know what he was like as a sixth grader, as a, as a sophomore, as he was going through puberty. What did that look like? Like I, I always had those questions and I wanted to know. And I was just reminded today again that God does not give us all the details. He does not exhaustively tell us about all of Jesus' life or all of his attributes or all of who he is or all of his dealings with mankind. But he is sufficient in what he reveals. His word is sufficient in our understanding of who he is, who we are, our problem that we introduced through sin, and how Jesus has come to give life, to give freedom, to give victory. It is sufficient unto salvation. 
And some of you need salvation. Would you turn to him who is sufficient? Would you cry out? Would you call out? Would you surrender your life to him? Because his word is sufficient unto salvation. Our last incommunicable trait is he is immutable. Verses 17 and 18. He endures. He never changes. God is unchanging in his being, perfections, purposes, and promises. Yet God does not act and feel Yet God does act and feel emotions. And he acts and he feels differently in response to different situations. Malachi 3.6, for the, I, the Lord, do not change. Numbers 23.19, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Remember, God's attributes don't increase or decrease because he's not unchanging, right? He is who he says he is, right? He is who he says he is. God is consistent. He is not like me as a parent. Oh, how difficult it is to be a child of mine because my parenting is influenced by the day I've had. If I've had a great day, I'm great to be around. If I've had a hard day, a tough day, and I've exercised all of my patience and my mercy on other people, when I get home, unfortunately, my children get the worst of me. And so they have to navigate and they have to be uh, emotional weathermen to try to figure out who is dad going to be today? Oh, how that breaks my heart for them. That I am all over the map. Praise be to God that he is consistent. He is the same cover to cover. He never changes. He never goes against what he tells us in his word. Oh, would we be people that would look to him, that would model him, that would emulate him in his consistency. What would it look like, dads, if we were consistent? What would the, the raising and instructing and discipline of our children look like if we were consistent? What would our nation say about churches if we were consistent, Christian? Oh, I'm praying that our nation is weeping and mourning because churches are not gathering and the people of God are in mourning and we're different and we're like, why can we not get together? That we would be mad that we can't come together and join together as an assembled body. That the nation would say, this is weird. But how too many of us are excited that we get to watch church in our jammies today. That we, we don't have to go see those people. We don't have to be around them today. Christian, that should never be our attitude. Yeah, there are difficult people, and I'm one of them. But we long to be together because we know that we need each other. I need people to lift me up and to, to pick me up. What a blessing. Someone called me on the phone yesterday and just said, Hey, man, I, just, I know things are tough. I just want to let you know I'm praying for you. Man, I was blown away. It was like there was wind in my sails. I was like, yes. We need each other. Are you consistent like the God of the Bible, the God we claim to serve is? God truly is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we can take it to the bank. We can take it to the bank that he is who he says he is. And so you see there um, these 10 attributes that we looked at in these, in these 18 verses. And I apologize. I know I'm going long, and I'm sorry, uh, but I, I don't want us to finish with just that. Because David doesn't just finish with contemplating the majesty, the awe of who God is. The awe of God moves David to action. 
moves David to action. Psalm 139 is not a psalm about me, fearfully and wonderfully made. It is a psalm about my maker, fearful and wonderful. It is a psalm intended to inspire awe. Man, I love that. Psalm 139, there are verses in there. It's like, yeah, I know that verse. I know that verse. This psalm isn't in God's word so that Dave, David didn't pin these words so that you would have some monogram quilt over your bed that made you think highly of yourself. These words are, are, are to cause us to rightly understand who God is and worship him. But David's awe generates a response in verses 19 to 24. Read those with me. 19 to 24. Uh, we'll just actually read through 22. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. We don't really know what to do with these verses, do we? They seem odd. They seem weird. Our response to the awesome revelation of God's character should be to hate sin with complete hatred, with every fiber of our being, and to petition God to commit it to total destruction. Friends, you and I as Christ's followers are to hate sin. Not to brush up against it, see how close we can get to it, to, to cling to it, to love it, to, to pet it, to own it. We are to hate sin. And the more we are in awe of God, the more we will personally and intentionally hate sin. I wonder, do you intentionally hate sin? John Owen, a famous 17th century theologian and author, is known for several things. But one is his seminal work on the mortification of sin, where he is famous for saying, be killing sin or it will be killing you. I wonder, are you the avid hunter that you are? Are you as intentional about stalking your prey and learning their, their modes of communication and tracking for killing sin as you are for killing a deer or a turkey or pulling a fish out of the lake? Are you intentional about figuring out how to kill the sin in your life? Am I? Or are we more prone to having a, a kid who knows how to hit a, a curveball, but we don't ever teach him how to eradicate sin in his life? What are we spending our time doing? Are we taking advantage of the time the Lord has lavished upon many of us in these days? Are we taking that time to be intentional to kill sin in our life or are we actually sending more because we've got more free time? Our parents aren't around and we're able to watch and do and, and behave as we want to because there's no authority, there's no structure maybe in our lives. Friends, may we be a people who are killing sin 
killing sin. And notice whose sin we're to hate the most. David finishes the psalm out with verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. All begets humility, confession, and submission. Psalm 139 in the entirety of Scripture extols the attributes of God. Oh, that we might read the Word of God and hunger for a loftier version of who He is. Our problem is not that we lack self-worth or a sense of significance. Our problem is we lack an awe of God. I want to close by having everyone read Psalm 139, 23, and 24. And I know this might be odd for some of you and some of you are questioning whether you're going to do this or not, but I just want to say, get up and do it. All right. The verse will appear on the screen and, and I would like for you to join with me in reading it out loud wherever you are watching this as a response to what God has impressed upon you from this text. So would you, would you stand if you want to? You don't have to stand, but I do want you audibly out loud to read Psalm 139, 23 and 24 with me as we begin our time of response. Search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Let us pray. Father, this is our response to you. Holy Spirit, would you please lead us. Jesus, we thank you for making a way for reprobates like us to have fellowship with a God that we are in awe of. Amen. Amen. It's been good to be with you this morning. We as a church um, continue uh, to meet. We will continue to have office hours as, as the Lord uh, sees fit uh, to have us. As, as long as we're by the government asked uh, not to meet, um, we, will, we will not meet, but we will give you uh, sermon and Sunday school lessons every Sunday uh, right here where you're watching right now on our website. And so if we as a, as a church can minister to you, if, if you're uh, afflicted, you're sick, you need something, please don't hesitate to call the church office, send an email, um, get word to us uh, so that we can be a help and a resource to you in these days. I pray that you know that, that we as a church staff, we love you, we miss you, and we long for the time when we can be back together as a family. And so I do want to encourage us with God's word as we close. And so I want to read over you and over myself, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God bless you.